Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome back, everybody. I tell you what, I got a big one here, and I want to start off with this. There are a number of issues here that I just want to revisit from the last episode, because this week was really, I think, very telling on a national scale regarding a number of different political things that are taking place and how our our attention is being pulled in numerous directions. Clearly false flags everywhere. And, uh, you know, the, the, the whole Israeli lobby is really sinking its teeth into, of course, every politician, and we can clearly see that. And all the congressional hearings that took place this week pretty much prove that. And I'll go through that as briefly as I can. Um, But at the exact same time, we're being exposed to endless individuals who are completely unconstitutional and numerous politicians, if not all of them, who clearly don't like the Constitution and seem to ignore it when it comes to protecting their money lenders and their donors. And we, again, know who those people are. They are Zionists of the highest order, and it's APAC and all these other individuals, again, who have their hooks in their backs. Uh, I've got a great deal of really juicy education things to bring up here. In fact, very briefly, uh, Jesse James has just contacted me. He apparently has quite the episode he's building here for his podcast, the Dangerous Info Podcast, and it's going to have something to do. Again, I don't want to give too much away because I don't want to ruin it, but I think that he has something building here regarding the Oxford High School case there in Michigan and how the people, the students, and the parents there are fed up. Uh, I watched a couple of videos on TikTok that he sent me of parents there yelling at the board members about being held responsible for the killings that took place and how really no one's been held accountable, certainly not the school officials, and they clearly have a point, but I'll let him cover that. And again, I don't know if I'm going to be a part of that or not. Um, he He asked me to be a part of it. I said, yeah, sure, anytime. But we'll see what he puts together, and I'm again, I'm all for it. It's going to be interesting, I think, uh, w- when he gets it all organized and set up and ready to go. So I'm looking forward to that. But again, it brings in the larger point of, do you really want to keep yelling at these board members and these, the, you know, these paid-off politicians and and this entire system and accept or expect rather that the system is going to change, or do you want to walk away from it and watch the system collapse? under its own panic, because that's exactly what would happen. So that's, of course, a a major point that I've brought up on the show with regularity. You know, we hold the cards here, not them. And if they are, you know, as 2,000 strong as one of the individuals at the lectern was saying during the Oxford High School board meeting there, and that, that district's board meeting, then just walk away. And if they do that, the the whole game ends. So there you go. That's my quick two cents on that. But again, there will be much more in the future on his show regarding that, I'm certain. And if and when that shows up, I will bring it to your attention, no doubt about it. Uh, Okay, let's see. A bunch of other education-related things here, including a local issue, which is of the most importance, I think, in the school district where I live. And this specifically has to do with the recent election and victory of a past graduate who beat an incumbent who's a full-blown communist. 
And now we have the board president who's flipping out and doing whatever he could do. So he said in his own words, apparently, to, uh, to keep her from winning the election that she ended up winning. And now they're railroading her as, as much as they possibly can and engaging in numerous ethics violations, which I will cover also. And then I have a great deal of jab-related things uh, and a few stories to tell as well. So let me get into it here. First of all, in the last episode, I brought up the history of Kwanzaa. Rather hilarious, isn't it? Well, here's the history of Hanukkah. This also can't make it up. Completely ridiculous, and uh, certainly not something as simple and pure as the birth of Jesus Christ. So this was on Gab, and I'm going to butcher a number of these names. You'll have to forgive me. I'm known for that. You know that. Uh, but these are geographic locations, and there's no flipping way I get all these right. So here's what the post stated, and it was an excellent post, and it said the following. Again, not my post, but here's what it said. It said, today begins the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah. So let's take a look at the real history behind it. After Alexander the Great's death in 323 BC, his empire was split among his generals. One of them was a man by the name of Seleucus, if I'm saying that right, the first, Nicator, who founded the Seleucid Empire. No way I'm getting that right again. My apologies. In the year 170 BC, the Seleucid Empire had defeated, good God, uh, P-T-O-L-E-M-A-I-C, Egypt, during the Sixth Syrian War and gained full control of the Levant, including the provenance of Judea. In 168 BC, Seleucid or Seleucid Empire, Antiochus IV had plans to Hellenize the Levant and ordered a statue of the Greek god Zeus to be built outside of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Because of the because of this, many Jews gave up their religion and willingly converted to the Greek religion. In 167 BC, a Jew by the name of Matthias, if I'm saying that right, or uh, Mattathias, something like that, began what would be known as the Maccabean Revolt when he refused to sacrifice a pig on the altar of a Greek temple, then killed the man who volunteered to take his place and desecrated the altar and fled the city into the hill. One year later, Mattathias's son, Judas, gathered like-minded Jews, began, began a violent revolt, going into towns and massacring any Greek or Jewish convert they could find and also began forcibly circumcising children, as well as destroying Greek temples. The secular governor, if I'm saying that right, uh, was informed of the revolt and a Seleucid, Seleucid, whatever, army of around 30,000 was dispatched to crush the revolt. The Jews fought a guerrilla-style war against the Seleucids, or Seculids, whatever it is, it's not Seculids, S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D-S, for many years, and in 164 BC, the Seleucids 
withdrew to Syria due to Antiochus's death. The Jews believed that this was a sign that they had won and built a new temple to commemorate. This event was completely forgotten by Jews until around 1890 or the 1890s. When Jewish rabbis decided to turn the event into a holiday as a means of mocking the Christian Advent calendar and Christmas, unquote. So there you go. Hanukkah is built on death and deception and then mockery. Historic fact. Who knew? I sure didn't. Nice history lesson there, though. And there you go. It is American Education FM, after all. And there you have it. So, yeah, Kwanzaa and Hanukkah. Quite the holidays. Again, certainly not as pure as the birth of Jesus Christ. And that amazing, that amazing fact and reality. Absolutely incredible. But hey, there you go. Facts matter, ladies and gentlemen. Not feelings, screaming and yelling and accusations and finger pointing and how dare you make fun of this group or that group. It's absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Let's keep this train rolling, shall we? Because it's quite the train that occurred this week. Um, all right, let me begin with this. Congressional hearings that took place this week, there were a number of them. And it did not matter which hearing took place. I kid you not, there was a theme throughout, even if the question that was being asked at the time to the person who was testifying had nothing to do with the the topic for which they were actually there to testify. So let me just hit on a few. You had three or four university presidents attend a congressional hearing regarding anti-Semitism, of course, in higher education and on university campuses. And oh my God, what are we going to do? There was that. And I have another piece of audio from that that I want to play because I know that I played a piece of it on Wednesday's show. And I believe that took place on Tuesday, that particular hearing. You then had Christopher Wray testifying in front of both Congress and the Senate Judiciary Committee and being accused of numerous things, and rightfully so, one of which, of course, included uh, the FBI targeting traditional Catholics and again calling them terrorists and we need to investigate them and so on and so on. No mention, of course, among these Congressional individuals, uh, these representatives, of course, and, and senators, having anything to do with Jewish terrorist organizations. Because keep in mind, we've been programmed, have we not, to where we hear the term terrorist and we think camel riding, towel wearing on the head, sand person. Okay, and I'm saying that again because that's the image that pops up in people's heads. And it's, it's, un it's an unfortunate thing, but it's kind of true. They're not the only ones who don't like Christians. And not all of them are anti-Christian. In fact, many Mi Middle Easterners are Christians, and they're the ones that are being persecuted. They're the ones that are having their churches destroyed. They're the ones that are having their heads cut off. This is happening. This has been happening. This is a world reality. Okay, but not so. When you hear the term terrorism, does someone think to themselves that a synagogue could possibly be the home of terrorism or violence or 
lying and stealing and cheating and rape and crime. No one, no one thinks of that. Of course, the same thing is true with many Catholic churches. They do that also. You see, evil is evil and crime is crime. That's my whole point. But when somebody draws a line, in particular left and right politicians, in the sand and says, nope, it's black and white. These people are always good and these people are always bad. That right there should be everyone's red flag. It should always be everybody's red flag. So the FBI came out with a document that Christopher Ray was attacked for, and rightfully so, where they openly listed, apparently, traditional Catholic churches, a number of them, and their locations and so on and so forth, and that they're being targeted for terrorist attacks or you know something along those lines. I don't know the specifics about it one way or another. Why are they being targeted? Are they really being targeted because they've engaged in illegality or are they being targeted because of their, you know, their, their religious beliefs? I, I don't know. But what was interesting again was is there was another congressional hearing that took place, which again, you've heard me say this is low-hanging fruit. And in my opinion, this is one of those topics that consistently rolls around to keep people from critically thinking about other things that are more important. And it has to do with transgenders in, in schools and transgenders specifically in sport play. So here, here again, you had the, the white Candace Owens, Riley Gaines, showing up yet again at a congressional hearing and giving it to congressmen and women, and of course playing the counter to the whack job individuals who think that pretending to be a boy is fine and pretending to play in a sport against uh, a biological sex that is not your own is somehow normal. Again, I'm looking at this down the middle of the road here and from a higher, uh, you know, a higher elevation and a different dimension. I'm not playing the game that Riley Gaines is playing. I'm not, and again, pretty blonde. I'll give her that. But again, and she's quick and she's articulate and she knows what she's talking about, but she's a one-trick pony. Again, no offense to her. She's brought attention to, an, uh, to a serious issue, but at the exact same time, it's repetitive and we get it already. Not to mention with that entire topic, you've heard me say a million times, the best way is to just walk away permanently. If the whole team walks away, when Billy, who says that his name is Betty, starts to take off his clothes and his genitals are flopping around, well, if everybody just acts like it's uncomfortable or even says it's uncomfortable but then goes and plays in the same game that that individual who's pretending to be a girl is playing, well, then you're to blame too. See, Riley Gaines could have walked away, but Riley Gaines didn't. And I understand the argument, too. I get it. I understand the counter-argument. Sean, she earned her way there. This was un unwarranted. She wasn't planning on this. Uh, you know, she deserves to compete just like everybody else, and so on and so forth. I agree with you. That means that everybody then needs to walk away, not just her. But you have to vote with your feet, because it's the easiest way to win. You vote with your feet. Beating these... Bolshevik and Marxist and satanic organizations is a difficult thing, but it's super easy if you just walk away. If you scream in microphones all the time and say, well, we need laws and we can't have this. And at the exact same time, as all of these politicians are holding these hearings, no laws are being made. 
there's a complete revision of Title IX, and everybody's still playing bread and circus. My question is simple. Who's getting played? I think we know who's getting played, and it's pretty much everybody who's continuing to go along with the entire charade. Now, how does all of that tie in to the anti-Semitic theme, quote-unquote, that existed throughout the entire week in all of these congressional hearings? I'm going to play it for you. This was audio that came from that very subcommittee on transgenders, clearly the mentally ill, wanting to play in sports against genders that are not their own and a sex that is not their own. They were throwing in the question of anti-Semitism to only certain individuals on the panel, and then it was, it was basically coming out of nowhere. I caught this one audio clip just skimming the, the, uh, the congressional hearing with Riley Gaines. And I don't know if the same question was thrown to Riley Gaines or not. But I do know that it was thrown to the hard left-wing whack job, who again was, was playing the counter to Riley Gaines and the individuals who know that, of course, being transgender is nuts and playing against uh, individuals who are not your own sex is a huge mistake and uh, a complete perversion of, of what has gone on throughout the course of history. But it was only asked to the left-wing whack job. She, of course, took a completely different approach to the answer. My point is this, again, looking at it down the middle and from a different elevation. It had no place in the committee. It had no place to even be asked. So allow me to play this audio for you. What you're going to hear is a Republican congressman from California, and he's, again, addressing the entire panel, but then he goes after the left-wing whack job, and he starts asking her about a recent story of, again, a school a K-12 school-related situation where a boy pretending to be a girl was basically paired with a female who was at, who was told that the two of them have to room with one another during a sporting event, uh, you know, away from the school, out of town, and that they had to room with each other in a hotel room, and, you know, what an abomination. And yes, it's an abomination. It shouldn't have happened. It's completely ridiculous. You have to understand the take I'm taking here, though. I'm looking at the entire thing as being ridiculous. And then, of course, the fact that they just threw in this, you know, what do you think about Hamas raping Jews on October 7th? That's, that's the whole issue here. And he brings it up, and it just has no place. So here's that audio in three, two, one. Thank you. The chair now recognizes Mr. LaMafa for five minutes. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, I appreciate you allowing me to sit in on committee here today. Um, it's uh, a lot... A lot of contentious uh, discussion here today. Uh, we've seen um, a lot of name calling, uh, people referring to people with different ideas or disagreements as some type of phobes, transphobes or homophobes or whatever. And uh, that's not really a place where you uh, have ideas or discussion about differences of uh, on, on important issues. So um, I've even seen in my home state of California where uh, parents would uh, want to talk with their children about uh, if they're feeling feelings of wanting to associate with another gender, for example, that our California legislature has shut down the ability for kids to have counseling. So if there's phobes on this, and I saw 
at the beginning of the hearing, Ms. Gaines was uh, uh, moved by a Democrat member to have her words taken down because she cared to disagree with the name calling that was being called her, and instead put one back on say, well, maybe you're misogynist for not agreeing. You know, so uh, it's it's pretty discouraging that you can't have a rational conversation here. So, or or even counseling for kids in, in California. Um, it looks a lot like canceling to me. So uh, I wanted a, a question for uh, uh, Ms. Ms. Graves there. Now, you're the president of what's known as the National Women's Law Center, right? That's correct. Okay. So we saw this report where um, a, a girl on a school trip was forced to share a bed in a motel room, I guess, for expediency. I think she was about seventh grade, and a boy was probably about seventh grade. Does that seem like a good idea at that age? And what would the parents think about it, let alone what would the girl think about that? Is that is that a policy that uh, your organization would support? I, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm struggling to understand the example that you're talking about. There was a it's, school it's been trip where boys and girls were sharing a bed. And yeah, I, uh, I, I have never heard of a school trip. Well, as a policy, as a generic policy, what, what would you think of that? I would advise that schools not require their students to share beds. Well, I, I mean, I don't. Maybe for expediency for a trip, girls with girls, boys with boys, whatever. If that's what they came up with. In this case here, because they want to protect this identity, they forced this girl to be in that situation sharing with a boy. Does that seem like a good idea to you? So are you trying to call a transgender girl a boy? I'm just trying to understand the example that you're giving me. But in, in any event. You know what I'm talking about. A, a, a I, so, so here's what I would say. I would advise schools to not have students share beds. I would advise schools to be really clear. If In this case, they required like it because that's what they did, and they required the school. Well, I would advise boys, so. against it. So I would say okay. that that is right. not a good idea. Schools have right. a long-standing right. obligation let's move, let's to address move to a different question. harassment and let's move to a different conditions question. where so students can thrive. In general, it doesn't sound like uh, that's a, a, for women, girls and women's safety. So um, I have not heard your organization yet speak out against the horrific or condemn publicly what's gone on with Hamas and the Jewish women that were uh, dismembered by rape, by torture, the dehumanizing of Jewish women. Would you like to hear clarify for us uh, how your organization would feel about that? So rape in conflict and the information that's come out about what happened to women in Israel is horrific and devastating and god-awful. Well, many lead organizations and, have not even expressed anything. It seems I, to be pro-Hamas. Is your organization willing to go on the record and say we're against what Hamas did to women? We're I against, mean, we're against Hamas. So I should just be really clear. I I don't support groups, but I also don't do global work. Okay. I work in the United right. States on gender right. justice. I'll reclaim my issues, time. Thank you. But I am an expert Reclaiming on sexual my violence. Okay. And uh, rape is horrific in any setting. And the fact sure. That in the Reclaiming my of time, war please, Ms. Gaines, conflict, I would like to switch a question to you. This is so important, and I don't want to leave any misunderstanding. You didn't answer the question correctly. And that's He's reclaimed his time. Okay. So, um, Ms. Gaines, again, you've been uh, courageous in your battle with the name-calling and the stuff that happened in San Francisco. Um, let me talk about, real quick, um, when you have transgender athletes, as they're called, participating in a sport, and let's say in track, for example, the top two are former males. They, re they claim the top two spots. They qualify for you know, scholarships in college, the first two places at, at the, inter you know, the national meets. 
What does that feel like for the girls? Do, do they, A, want to start boycotting us, uh, games where there's males playing or they just want to give up altogether. What is that going to do for women's sports if more and more of this happens? It's certainly a mix. Uh, there are some women who would love to boycott, but we've been told, you know, you signed a scholarship. Uh, so there's fear of retaliation from your school. Uh, there are some women who were so discouraged they quit. Speaking of, uh, again, the case that we saw with Leah Thomas, I know I've referenced it a lot, but it is, of course, my lived experience. Uh, the University of Princeton had, I, I believe, 13 of their swimmers quit the sport entirely to stop playing, uh, being in the Ivy League, having to deal with this time and time and time again. And after talking with those girls, they explicitly stated they quit because they were um, subjected to, to allowing men into their sports and locker rooms. So if girls don't want to share a bed, they don't want to share a locker room, they feel like they're being violated and they finally sit out the sport. Is that, is that really good for, for example, uh, executives? 94% of the executives have been in women's sports. Probably not good for them, huh? The gentleman's time has expired. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Again, I, th I thought the entire exchange was absolutely hilarious and just very revealing. I'm glad that I caught just his, you know, his particular testimony there. I, I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene's also, and I think Jim Jordan's as well. But I thought that exchange was absolutely just beyond bizarre. Again, keep in mind, I'm a conservative. I've always voted conservative, but I know that they're two heads of the same snake. This particular guy, again, goes, well, what do you think about boys and girls? Uh, and he's asking the left-wing, you know, the left-wing individual who's advocating for, for transgenders in sports, which is ridiculous. But he's asking her, what do you think about, uh, you know, that particular situation where, where two kids of, of opposite sex are partnered up to sleep in the same room? And, and she goes, well, no students should be sleeping in the same room with one another, regardless of, the, of their gender. I don't disagree with that. I fully understand that that's been going on for a very long time within sports and within schools. And as a former educator, I also know, and just as a human being who pays attention to things, I fully understand that there are always violent stories that come out of those particular instances, even if the same sex is sleeping in the same room with one another. So even with sexual orientation and, and sexual preference to the side for a minute, which that can be a problem in itself, you still have violence. You can still have physical violence take place because, again, there's no adult supervision. There's no privacy. So I'm getting off track here. It's a, it's a, it's a huge issue, but then you saw his curveball of the old Hamas raped Israel. The, the, you know, all of Hamas raped all of Israel. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's beyond absurd. She should have said, I wasn't there. I have no proof of that. I just have no proof. Why are you even asking me about this? This has nothing to do with anything for the reason that we're here today. But she didn't say any of that. She, again, took the, took the basic line of, well, look, all rape is terrible, and yes, it is, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. He goes, well, I just find it odd that your organization would immediately come out about that. And anyway, on to the next thing. And then he asked Riley Gaines about, Again, Princeton swimmers walking away. That's the answer right there. She should have said, you know what? This is the answer. 19 of them, 13, whatever number she said, they all just walked off the team because one of them showed up and either wanted to pretend to be a girl or that they were being forced to compete against girls. I think that was it. Or I'm sorry, forced to compete against a biological male. 
on another team or something something along those lines. Either way, that's the answer. That's the answer. Yes, I understand it's unfair. And they're being backed into a corner and it's, you know, it is what it is. But that's the answer. The NCAA will back down in every situation. If every team walks away and the one guy pretending to be the girl is the only one standing at the starting blocks holding their genitals like, where is everybody? Where'd everybody go? As soon as that starts happening across the board in mass, nothing is going to change. You're just going to see these wheels spinning constantly and these political games being played and this constant berating back and forth. Walk away from the game. Walk away from the, the hysteria of the mental illness and the entire charade and everybody will be fine. And then the NCAA will fold and they'll have no option but to say we now have no choice but to ban all transgenders from, from collegiate sports, period. And then that's it. That's it. So I'm tired of the game. I'm tired of the charade. I'm tired of the political back and forth. And I'm tired of the, the Jewish question that's getting thrown out there constantly that has nothing to do with the topic that is currently at hand. It's beyond ridiculous. That leads me to this now. This happened also, and this was just, my God, was this priceless. Uh, this is Elise Stefanik screaming and, and, and borderline crying during the, the committee hearing having to do with university presidents talking about anti-Semitism on their campuses. And like I said in the last episode, I didn't watch the whole five-hour thing. But I'm wondering whether or not anybody brought up on either side the business of the Bolshevism that's taken place on university campuses and the doxing of college students who happen to be of Middle Eastern descent and how those individuals are having their faces, names, addresses, and phone numbers plastered on the sides of trucks and driven around the entire campus in an effort, of course, to attack them violently, protest in front of their house, throw eggs at them, whatever the hell it is. I wonder if that got brought up. Because that's really something that incites violence. But see, Elise Stefanik, another Republican from New York, who is Jewish, believes that name-calling is actually violent, and that name-calling incites violence, and that that only happens on one side toward the other, that it's only Middle Easterners who are yelling and screaming at Jews, and it's Jews who feel threatened, and it can't possibly be the other way around. See, that right there should tell people that these politicians on all sides of the aisles are bought and sold, that APAC owns all of these people. Now, let me give a quick history lesson on Elise Stefanik. The last time she ran for office, randomly, and it could have been right before her primary, but I believe it was right before she ran for office. Randomly, she puts out a picture of a little handwritten note that I kid you not is no bigger than a post-it note. So no bigger than the palm of your hand. And it looked like it was written on, 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 white legal, on a white legal pad, basically, in pencil or pen. And it basically said something like, get out of here, Jew, nobody likes you. And then according to her, was, was 
was put on her windshield and, you know, attached with her windshield wiper to her automobile as she was exiting a, a grocery store in the area where she lives. And she took a picture of it, posted it online, and said, This kind of anti Semitic hate needs to stop. I just found this on the windshield of my car. I have no proof that that happened. None. Where's the surveillance footage? Every single parking lot in every single grocery store is filled with surveillance footage. You would think that you'd be able to prove that it actually happened with surveillance footage in your automobile, but you couldn't even do that. Again, did she fake something like this in an effort to gain more sympathy and gain more votes? Probably. So this is the sound you're going to hear now of Elise Stefanik in this congressional hearing where she goes down the line with all of these presidents of all of these universities trying to get them to basically say that the First Amendment doesn't need to exist. Because that's essentially what he's what she's saying, but I'll let her speak for her. And again, listen to the hysteria in her voice. I'm not kidding; she's almost on the on the verge of crying. Here she is in three, two, one. Dr. Kornbluth, does M at MIT does calling for the genocide of Jews violate MIT's code of conduct or rules regarding bullying and harassment? Yes or no? If targeted at individuals, not making public statements. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context, when calling for the elimination of the Jewish people. So those would not be according to the MIT's code of conduct or rules? That would be um, investigated if, at, as harassment, if pervasive and severe. Ms. McGill, at Penn, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's rules or code of conduct? Yes or no? If the speech turns into conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. I am asking specifically calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your if testimony it, that it, you will not answer yes? If it... Uh, is if the yes speech becomes no. if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment. Yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment. This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual, 
It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric. When and is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation. That is actionable conduct and we do take action. So the answer is yes, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard code of conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. It does not depend on the context. The answer is yes, and this is why you should resign. These are unacceptable answers across the board. It was hands down one of my favorite clips from the entire week in all the congressional hearings. That was priceless. I loved it. The hypocrisy knows no bounds here. It's over flipping whelming. Let me give Elise Stefanik a little tip. First of all, every single one of those university presidents knows that the First Amendment exists because they have a litany of Jewish lawyers all behind them, sitting right behind them. They are their legal representation. They know that if they say yes to her answer, then they're violating the First Amendment. The universities can't do that. But here's where the hypocrisy lies. You're never going to get Elise Stefanik or any congressional individual at all to read this to you, which I'll read now, which has to do with all of the headlines that exist and have been written by all these university students calling for the elimination of white people and anybody who's white that they need to be abolished, and so on and so on. Here are some of the headlines. This first one, of course, comes from Fox News, and it is titled, Harvard Grad, Terrifying It's Becoming Acceptable Under Guise of Free Speech to Speak Out Against Jews. Now, here's a list of them from Harvard Magazine, and it was Daniel Kincannon on Gab who put all of this together. He's 100% right. He points this out exquisitely. Harvard Magazine, title, Abolish the White Race. The Harvard Crimson, title, Whiteness Studies, Exploring Privilege. Harvard Graduate School of Education, title, Disrupting Whiteness in the Classroom. The Harvard Gazette, title, How White Supremacy Became Part of Nation's Fabric. Harvard Law Review, title, Monopolizing Whiteness. Harvard Law Review again, title, Whiteness as Property. And the Harvard Office for Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging, title, Whiteness, an Ethnographic Question. And then this is from the Harvard Bookstore. These is, this is a partial list of titles of books in the Harvard Bookstore. Treason to Whiteness is Loyalty to Humanity. That's one of them. Dying of whiteness is another. White malice is another. White too long. The legacy of white supremacy in American Christianity is another one. Another one is the trouble with white women. 
Another one is dismantling institutional whiteness. Another one is white supremacy is all around. I'm not even half done. I'm just going to read them off as quickly as possible here. (laughs) This is crazy. Uh, White evangelical racism. The wages of whiteness. Whiteness at the end of the world. The end, the hidden roots, rather, of white supremacy. On whiteness, racial imaginary institute. Another one, white privilege. Psychoanalytic perspectives. Another one, nice white ladies. The truth about white supremacy. Another one, decentering whiteness in the workplace. Another one, me and white supremacy. Another one, the last white man. Another one, white fear. How the browning of America is making white folks lose their minds. And another one, the last one he has listed here, Rich White Men, What It Takes to Uproot the Old Boys Club and Transform America, unquote. You're never going to get a congressional hearing about that. But Elise Stefanik wants everybody to say and have in their university policy that if you make fun of a Jew, then they should be kicked out of school or disciplined or something. Elise Stefanik is not an American. Elise Stefanik is a traitor to our country. Elise Stefanik does not believe in the First Amendment to the Constitution. As all the presidents said, and they're all an abomination, they still are. Because again, I'm looking at this down the road from a separate elevation in a different dimension, which is the truth, fortunately, is that harassment is harassment, and they know that. They know that harassment is a crime. If they single out an individual student and don't leave them alone, they know that that's a crime. That's a call to the police. That's a police report. That's, you know, you're, you're chronicling numerous instances of harassment against a singular individual. If you're calling out a group of people in the United States of America, that's not a crime. But as you heard me say in the last episode, they, the Zionists specifically, who happen to be Jewish, and of course the people who get paid by them, they won't quit until the First Amendment ceases to exist or it's openly ignored on a constant basis, and calling out anybody who happens to be Jewish is punishable by death. That's the way that this is going. That's what they want. They want anybody who criticizes anybody who's Jewish to be ostracized. That right there should show you that they don't care about freedom of speech. Elise Stefanik must believe that not a single Jewish person has ever committed a crime. This is absurd. I read it, I read it at the very beginning, ladies and gentlemen. That's the basis for Hanukkah. <laughs> Honestly, that's the entire basis for Hanukkah. This has been one of the largest false flags that's ever occurred. Yes, there have been many. 9-11 was an abomination, I know that. That was, that was a massive one. But this one is really falling on deaf ears because the people screaming and shrieking and kvetching and doing whatever it is that they're doing, they're all yelling at the top of their lungs and they all look foolish doing it. It's astounding. I find this to be absolutely incredible. They're making asses of themselves. So much so, can't make this up, 
in my show email address, AmericanEducationFM at ProtonMail.com, I've received this email this week twice on two separate occasions, and it doesn't go into my spam folder. It goes right into my inbox. This is from, let's see, Kids, Kids in Country from a Rebecca Fredericks. Now again, it says it's failed its domain authentication requirements and requirements rather, and it may be spoofed or improperly uh, forwarded. But here's here's what this says. Again, this is from Rebe- Rebecca Fredericks uh, and Roger Ruvalo. I don't know who that is, but there's also Michelle Tafoya who's associated with this apparently too. It is titled "Unions for Palestine." Radicalized teachers are peddling anti-Israeli propaganda to our kids. So, both sides are now being accused of engaging in propaganda. But, the powers that be would lead you to believe, no, it's just Palestinians engaging in propaganda, that there's no way it could be anybody who is a Zionist or Jewish or what have you. And there's an entire article right here about the entire thing. The day that thousands of rockets rained down on innocent Israeli citizens, photos and videos emerged of people dancing in the streets. This time, those images were not broadcast from Middle Eastern cities, but instead filmed right here in the United States. And it goes on and on and on. This is absolutely ridiculous. Rebecca Fredericks is is bought and sold. There's no doubt about it. She's peddling her book. Standing up to Goliath. Uh, okay. Uh, so d- it's just so tiring and so disgusting. I'm sorry for bringing it up with regularity. I'm just trying to point out the hypocrisy here and the illegality and the criminality and the unconstitutional nature of these Zionists trying to destroy the Constitution, act like it doesn't exist, and then ultimately, of course, ostracize Americans and destroy our country from the inside. This is a historic fact that they've always wanted to do this. This is happening now. It's happening today. There's no avoiding it. There's absolutely no avoiding it. It is right here. In fact, I've just got a couple of rather localized uh, stories here specifically regarding this too. This was from RT, and it's titled, Billionaire Graduate Accuses Harvard of Discriminating Against White Males. Good. He's, he's right. Yes, this does happen. Good for him for bringing this up. It says the policies of the Ivy League College undermine America's competitiveness in its standoff with Russia and China, hedge fund manager Bill Ackman has said. Okay, he's basically saying it's a giant, it's a giant psyop. That again, they, they go back and forth. Are you, are you for Palestine? Are you for Israel? Whatever else. And he goes, but you attack whites all the time. What, uh, you know, don't you understand that, that that's not cool either? So, I mean, again, good for him for bringing it up, but yeah, it's a constant. There's also this. This is, again, from the Gateway Pundit. My apologies for the reference. It says, college professor, higher education has become a threat to America. Yes, this has always been the case. The Frankfurt School brought it over here with their ideologies. Let's make everybody as miserable as we are. Let's build as many useful idiots as we possibly can, and then you get enough generations of that, then you have the useful idiots teaching useful idiots. 
That's why it's a cult. You have individuals who don't know what they're teaching to individuals who don't know what they're learning in an environment that's allowing all of it to happen, that's being controlled by quote-unquote intelligence agencies whose main prerogative is to brainwash people. Yeah, no wonder it's not productive. No kidding. Okay, now let me get into some Ohio-related things, and this is rather interesting. I've brought this up before. Again, we're into education now, full bore here. This particular story I've brought up regarding Ohio colleges and DEI legislation, I've brought it up before, but there's a bit of an advancement here. This is from Just the News, and it is titled, Bill to Eliminate Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Training at Ohio Colleges Advances. Now, very quickly, this is a good thing, but as you might expect my answer on this, this isn't going to solve the problem. The last 40 plus minutes, you've heard me describe what the real problem is. And yes, I don't have a problem with legislation like this. It's going to make the bad guys seethe. It's going to make them scream and shout and, you know, yell a bunch of other things. I can't believe that this is happening. This is terrible. And yet, these are the same K-12 school districts and universities that are insolvent, that are, that are whining about one of the policies that they have in place and the courses of study that they have in place that is actually causing them to be insolvent. So again, they're yelling about the thing that's being eliminated that is actually the cause of their problem. Now we know that the people in their mind frame is the real problem, and their policies are just secondary to all of that. But uh, this particular bill... Let me see, Senate Bill 83, this being, again, hopefully passing, is, is a good thing, but it's not going to solve the larger problem. It says the legislation would also require mandatory trustee training and syllabus tra uh, transparency, rather, allowing students, families, and taxpayers to know course content, reading material, and individual professors. Yeah, I mean, that should have been commonplace. Again, the fact that we're having to make laws or attempt to pass laws to make common sense common sense again is, is nuts. Uh, let's see. It says, despite objections from teacher organizations, I wonder why, the NAACP, the ACLU, physicians and social workers. So apparently they're all in on this brainwashing too, which should tell you all about their professions. It says an Ohio House committee passed a bill to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion training at Ohio colleges and universities. Good. Senate Bill 83, which has passed the Senate and heads to the House for a full vote after a seven, I'm sorry, eight to seven vote Wednesday in the House Workforce and Higher Education Committee, also bans what it calls controversial beliefs or policies, including issues like climate change, electoral politics, foreign policy, immigration policy, marriage, or abortion. Now, as you've heard me say, <clears throat> the complication with this bill is rather obvious to us, which is, why are you eliminating all forms of speech? You heard me say in a, in a long time ago in a previous episode, the leftists are looking at this as basically, I can't believe you're, you're not allowing us to talk about all the queer things we want to talk about. On the right, the story that's being told and believed is, is that 
we're stopping colleges from talking about all the queer stuff and the sexual stuff and, and, and we're winning. The real issue is that what the bill does is it would keep anybody from questioning anything. They say it here, controversial beliefs or policies. You're not allowed to talk about that now, which means you can't question the, the, the fake Holocaust. You can't bring that up in some book report or paper. And you know professors are going to use that against students. You can't bring up stolen elections. You can't bring up Zionist influence over the universities. You can't mention any of this on these campuses now with the passing of of this particular bill into a law if it in fact does pass. That's the real issue here. Okay, It's not a right or left thing. It's a let's look at this from a 40,000 foot view multidimensionally as best we can. And I just laid it out right there. That's the biggest problem. They're getting the dummies in the left-right paradigm to believe that one side is winning against another. No, everybody loses. You lose with all your queer bullshit, and we lose because we can't question anything. We can't talk about propaganda now. We can't bring up propaganda as being a real thing anymore based on this bill. That's why this is an abomination. So it's not about it passing or not passing. I would prefer it not pass. Frankly, I would prefer that it not pass because that's the lesser of two evils. At least if it doesn't pass, you can still call all the, all the queer whack jobs who think that DEI is important and an actual thing. You can still call them the whack jobs that they are. You can still do that. But with the passing of such a bill into, in, into a law, you won't be able to even do that. This is, uh, this is problematic. But I wanted to bring that to your attention again because it just passed through a committee. But as you might be able to imagine, most K-12 school districts, when they have their board member report on legislative issues at the state to the general public, they'll bring this up as being detrimental to the learning of every you know of, of students that it, that it's uh, it's beyond awful because again now we can't talk about diversity equity and inclusion and the answer to that is again like I said earlier it's no it's way worse than that you can't question anything anymore this is uh, this is arguably in my opinion and I'm not siding with the leftists on this I'm not because they don't know what the hell they're talking about and I'm not siding with the people on the right either. Like I said, I'm looking at this from a, from a separate dimension. This is arguably one of the worst bills that could, that could possibly be written into law under the guise of we're getting rid of diversity, equity, and inclusion when in fact they aren't. They're getting rid of discourse. They're getting rid of free thought. They're getting rid of the First Amendment with, with such a bill. The First Amendment exists for a reason. It's so that we can talk about what we want to talk about. It's not so that we can brainwash ourselves or one another. It's so that we have the right to refuse to be brainwashed with our own knowledge and say, no, you're trying to brainwash me. I don't want that to happen. With the passing of a bill like this into a law or being made into a law, you wouldn't, like I said, you wouldn't be able to do that. So I'm repetitive on it, but you get what I'm saying. Okay. We'll keep an eye on that one, of course, because, yeah, that's terrible.
That leads me to this now. You've heard, of course, of Ibram X. Kendi. I have brought him up before on the show. Uh, he's a, I don't want to use the term racist because that term doesn't exist. He's certainly a bigot. He's, he's not bright. But what he's done is, is he's been able to monetize his bigotry and race hustle. To use an excellent phrase from Thomas Sowell, Dr. Thomas Sowell, uh, Ibram X. Kendi is a race hustler. He uses pseudo-philosophy to make it sound like he's intellectually savvy when it comes to hating white people while defending all other races. And because he uses hand gestures and crosses his legs when he sits in a chair on a stage and talks about how whites need to consistently understand about everybody else, but no one else needs to understand white people. The fact is, is that it has to do with humanity understanding humanity and good recognizing evil and overcoming evil. But Ibram X. Kendi is evil. So again, what is he trying to sell? He's trying to sell his evil to people as being good, which of course, by definition, makes him, well, evil. So here's an audio of him. It's a minute and 41 seconds long of him again describing how whiteness prevents white people from connecting to humanity. What's interesting about the Ohio bill that I just mentioned is that individuals like this guy would still have a voice even though the bill would potentially become a law and still exist. They wouldn't discriminate against him because he would scream discrimination. But what would it do? It would keep people who are white from defending themselves and calling people like him a hack or a bigot for saying things like what you're about to hear now. So give him a listen in three, two, one. I, I don't think uh, white uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity is shaped by constructions of whiteness and, and how much... Um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. In other words, uh, recognizing that uh, when you when you recognize that you are part and parcel of humanity. In other words, you're not over humanity, right? Uh, it, it allows you to really be able to connect to people who don't look like you, who have kinky hair, who have dark skin, uh, and to see yourself in them. And it's whiteness that prevents that, right? And, and when you're not able to see yourself uh, in other human beings, that creates all sorts of problems. Um, but not just societal problems, personal problems uh, that, that I think hopefully this, this, this film and this work will, will liberate those folks from. So I, I think it's this liberate, it's liberating all the way around, right? It, it you know, I think it, it will liberate, you know, really all of us because, uh, you know, we've all been told a lie about ourselves and other people. Ooh. Yeah. Say a round of applause for the race hustling bigot, everybody, a round of applause. You've got to be joking. Anybody who's ever studied or read anything about 
nonverbal communication and even verbal communication could tell you that this individual has every tick imaginable when it comes to a person who is rationalizing their own words and knows nothing of which they are speaking of. That's why he's a race hustler. He's playing a shell game. He's selling you what he thinks are Rolex watches on the side of a a busy street in the middle of a city as he opens up his trench coat and he swears to God they're all Rolexes and they're not. And none of them work. So again, this was Ibram X. Kendi receiving, it says, a giant applause from the Netflix filming screening audience after demonizing white people around the world. Now here are some of the ticks that he uses, which you heard him say. He ends, he ends his sentences with the word right, with an upward inflection in his voice and a question mark as a question. He's looking for affirmation. When people do that in a sentence and they go, right, right? right they're looking they're looking for the person that they're communicating with to nod their heads or verbally agree and then if no one questions the person who's made the statement they just keep going as if the thing that they said is real when it isn't so that's the first thing the second thing again is he's very careful to choose his words which is why there are these long pauses now, we all have long pauses in, in our speech for a variety of different reasons. Some of it has to do with brain speed, myself included. I don't speak very quickly all the time, hardly ever, actually. Uh, but either way, he's doing it because he's trying to not sound like a complete bigot while he's sounding like a bigot. And that's, again, why he's looking for affirmation, because if he can get an applause from a room of useful idiots like he is, well, then that just reaffirms his false belief on everything, and then he's just going to keep going. What should have happened was, and what should happen, which never happens with this guy, is an actual debate on a stage on how everything that he believes is a lie, and that he's been brainwashed, he's in the matrix, and now he's making a living on being brainwashed and peddling all of the things that he believes that are not true. That won't happen, because he'll fill his shorts. He'll just get so he'll he'll get so panicked on a stage with somebody who's more knowledgeable and just cutting to the real core of him, which is the very fabric of his being is a lie. Again, there, there's no saving this guy. There's no saving him. He's he's an, he's a full blown communist. He's a full blown Marxist and Bolshevik. He wants all whites gone. That's ultimately what he was saying. That if you are looking at whites and you're not seeing yourself in whites. Then, that, then that's a problem, and that's detrimental to blacks. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And then, of course, if, if whites are looking at other whites, then they can't somehow empathize or sympathize with other people of different colors. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has to do with behaviors, and it has to do with brains. That's what it has to do with. So, yes, we judge people by the content of their character. And he has none. And therein lies the issue. So, there you go. Wanted to bring that to everybody's attention, just in case you didn't think there was a war on white people. Okay, this next story I have, this is a local issue, and I want to remind everybody of this before I dive in, because then I want to get into policy moves, procedure moves, and a tactical move that needs to be made 
in a war that is, of course, going on all of the time, but specifically when it comes to school board meetings at the K-12 level and incoming and outgoing school board members. You may recall in the town where I live, the K-12 school district that exists here is a complete and utter embarrassment. With that aside for just a second, although this is going to prove it, we had the, well, the most recent election, I should say, had three incumbents running against three so-called outsiders, even though one of them was a former student of the school district. As it turns out, that individual won, ousting the Miami University professor incumbent. Now, of the three people that were on the board who were the incumbents, um, that of course were on the ballot, the person who, who lost the election was the worst of the three. They're all stupid, and they're all brainwashed. But she was the worst of the three. This was the Dr. Knight Abowitz gal who openly came out and said, we're going to have a levy. I'm advocating for a levy. And then she lost, which was fantastic. So anyway, what's happened here regarding the school board now and the incoming individual, which is a Dawn King. She would be actually my older brother's age. In fact, she graduated uh, with my older brother, so she's a couple years younger, older than I am. And she took to Facebook to describe what is happening to her as the new incoming school board member. And I'm going to read her words, word for word here. And then I'm going to get into what this means, and I'm going to get into what role and responsibility she has now and how she has no choice but to basically do what I'm telling her to do here. She doesn't have a choice. When you take an oath to one of these positions and you tell the people who voted for you that you're going to be quote-unquote transparent, you have to be as transparent as Sun Tzu. And you have to use the actions and the words that are used against you personally, against everybody who uses them against you, against your enemy, and you have to do it publicly. You have to do the opposite of what they do. If your enemy is quiet, then you need to be loud. If your enemy is loud, then you need to be quiet and listen and then strike later. Let them dig their own hole, as Sun Tzu would say. Don't interrupt an enemy when they're in the process of destroying themselves. Let them do that, and then you pounce. And then you can crush them instantly without even having to fight because you're not having to create anything out of thin air. In her case, the enemy is destroying themselves by attacking her personally. And we're talking about board members, specifically the board president, Pat Mead, and the, the superintendent of the school district. So here's Don King on Facebook just the other day. She said the following quote. I wanted to provide an update on how things are going since being elected to the school board. I was supposed to go on a tour of Talawanda's facilities this past Friday morning afternoon, but unfortunately that didn't happen. On the Tuesday prior to my meeting and tour with the superintendent and treasurer, I asked the superintendent to give me a call. I had noticed that the board president was included in the emails ab about the meeting 
and tour and wanted to go over my concerns with him. I explained during that phone conversation on Tuesday evening that I know that the board president told a friend of mine, a person he didn't know that I'm close to, that, quote, Don King is a fucking batshit crazy dumb bitch, and I have to do everything in my power to keep her from being elected to the school board, unquote. She then said, I explained to the superintendent that I consider that to be hate speech and I did not want him going on the long tour with me that I didn't feel comfortable being with him in that environment. The superintendent reassured me multiple times that during the phone conversation that the president would not be on the tour with me and that he would tell the president that the that he and the treasurer needed to go over some private things with me towards the end of the meeting and that the president would have to go. During Friday's meeting, I told the board president that I know what he had said to my friend, that I expect an apology. He acknowledged saying it and refused to apologize. The superintendent never told the president that he needed to speak with me privately like he said he would, and I assumed that meant that the president would would be on the district tour, even though I thought, even though rather, I emphatically told him on Tuesday that I should not be forced to put myself in that situation. The superintendent was not happy to hear that Scotty, her husband, would be joining us on the tour. He told me that Scotty was not allowed to go in any school where he doesn't have a child, even as just a visitor we agreed to the we agreed to only tour the Nelson Morrow building the bus garage and the high school since our son is a student there the first stop was the Nelson Morrow building of course the board president walks out the door of the place and Scotty asks him what, what he is doing there since the superintendent told me that he wouldn't be that he wouldn't be rather and refused to apologize the superintendent said that he never told me the president wouldn't be there and made this denial multiple times. He then changed the narrative that he can't tell the president what to do and he doesn't work for Scotty. I said that the whole reason I brought Scotty with me is that I knew that the superintendent would not keep his word and that the president would be on the tour and that my personal safety matters. He has lied to me in the past and I figured that wasn't going to change. Scotty and I got in the car and we left. It is unfortunate that I didn't get to have the tour that I was promised. Why should I be forced into an uncomfortable situation that I was reassured would not take place? I am not going to be bullied into a situation that I am not comfortable with to appease the president of our school board. I certainly hope that eventually I can take a tour of all of our district schools and facilities. I promise transparency to my constituents and I will keep it coming." Unquote. Okay, a number of things here. First and foremost, let's identify the players. The school board president, Pat Mead, is an asshole. Always has been, always will be. He was a weak school teacher when he taught school. Nobody likes him. He covers up endless crimes. Uh, he's, he's the worst of the worst, and everyone knows it. 
you cannot harass people in the working environment, and this is a working environment. It's against the law in the state of Ohio, and apparently Pat Mead doesn't know that. I'll return to that in a minute. The superintendent, Ed Thoreau. Ed Thoreau just violated his contract. Period. You can immediately file a complaint with the state the State Board of Education, the Department of Education, Labor and Workforce, whatever the hell it's called now, and you can fill out a direct complaint for breach of contract. He's violated his contract. He has to create, in his own code of conduct, it clearly states, he has to create an environment that is a safe place for those who are attending. Now, the joke's on him. He's not in charge. The school board members are in charge, which means... If she wants a tour of any building, she should get it. And if she wants company or no company, she should get it. She's the elected official, not the superintendent. Any school district, and this happened during the COVID lie, any school district that gave power to the superintendent to make all of the decisions, that school board should have been thrown out immediately for not doing the thing that they were elected to do. You don't elect superintendents, you elect school boards. And you don't elect school boards to then give the rights and responsibility all to a singular individual. That's not what that is. That's not why we have these elections. That's not the point. That's an actual dictatorship. It's the illusion of a republic. We all voted, and then they all go, here you go. This person makes all the calls, and then we will back what this person has to say. This is one of the many reasons why these school districts have to cease to exist, because this happens all across the nation. The superintendent believes that they have the say. No. As an elected official, an individual elected official school board member, your power, so to speak, your influence, your position supersedes that of the superintendent. That's why your vote to hire them or fire them matters so much. So Ed Thoreau just violated his contract. That's a fireable offense. At the very least, he should have sanctions placed on his administrative state certificate, if not have it stripped from him, if not have it suspended for an entire year, which means he can't be a superintendent for a full year. And then good luck getting another job some other place because that becomes permanent record. Anybody can fill out these forms, but Dawn King, as the elected official, has the responsibility to do so. She has to fill these out. She has to do the homework on that. She has to look up those forms. Those forms are widely available on any search engine. And, and there you have it. In fact, I sent them to a mutual friend. So hopefully they get to Dawn. Hopefully she reads them and then follows through with it. Names, phone numbers, it's all right there of who to talk to and what to send in. All the forms are there. Now, with that aside, back to Pat Mead. Pat Mead broke the law. And as an elected official, because he broke the law, which is harassment, which is what that is, it's intimidation, it's retribution. This is a crime in the state of Ohio. You can't do these things. Get on the Ohio State Code website and look, look up the sections that he violated. Type in the keywords. Anybody can do this again regarding any of these officials in any state. Type in the keywords retribution. Type in the keywords harassment, intimidation in the workplace. 
they'll all pop up and they're all right there. So he can't do that. Again, you also then have to file an ethics violation against him because he's an elected official. Again, you can get on any search engine and you can type in the ethics toolkit for public school districts in your state, and this PDF will pop up. Read through it, and at the very least, make sure that all your evidence is in a row, that you have everything printed out before you call the individual. You call the person on the ethics board who takes the complaints. And this, of course, is long before any investigation or sending it to a committee. But you communicate back and forth with them about what's going on, and they'll tell you how to proceed. You also send them an email. That way they can't say, I didn't get your call, you never contacted me. You have to exhaust every communication outlet that you can. If they give you an email and a phone number, then you do both. If they give you an address to send something to, then you do that too. The the trick here is this. What you just heard is highly illegal, completely unethical, and it should cost both of these individuals their jobs. But what has to happen on Dawn King's end, now that she's an elected official, is she has a contractual obligation to do those things. You cannot be an elected official and sit on a board with other individuals who are corrupt and let them get away with it. That's, that's violating your own contract and your own oath. So she's trapped now. Unless, of course, she's not trapped. It depends on how you think about it. They want her trapped because they know what she doesn't. They know that she, as an elected official, has an obligation to do that with everybody. They, of course, haven't been doing that with everybody because they're all in agreement with one another. All these left-wing Marxists are all in agreement with one another when they take over these positions. That's why they don't rat each other out, because they've blackmailed each other. They're all blackmailed, and they're blackmailing one another. So again, to not fill out these ethics violations, to not fill out these forms against their their administrative uh, certificate, specifically regarding the superintendent, Don King would be violating her oath. Well, she has to uphold that that oath of office. She has no choice. She has to do that now. She has to fill these out. And if there's ever a misstep or any unethical thing that occurs, that's really what your job is as a board member. You've heard me bring it up on the show endless times. The responsibility of a school board member has become perverse so much so to the point where their sole responsibility has been ignored. Their only responsibility is to root out corruption and make sure that everybody is following their contractual obligations. But that takes the individual knowing what those contracts say and what those codes of conduct say. And if they don't read them, then they're not going to know. This is why, again, it's very difficult for your average mother or father who's not in the education business to run for one of these positions unless those individuals know what the contractual obligations of everybody participating in the whole game really is. If they don't know what they are, then they can't enforce what they are, and they can't follow up, and they can't inquire about what they are, and they certainly should never inquire to the actual enemy themselves. They should never look at the board members and say, 
well, what is it that I'm supposed to do about filing an ethics complaint against you? You don't say that. Here's how you win against these people. If I was Don King, and she has to do this, she has no choice. Transparency, remember that old word? That cliche? She has an opportunity here that's given to her on a silver platter with a silver spoon. She has to follow through with reading her Facebook post word for word on day one of her being a school board member in her very first school board meeting. She has no choice. None. They've given you a golden opportunity to crush them. Now she has to do it. She has to bring this up publicly. What may or may not happen is Pat Mead may or may not apologize publicly. He may even deny it, that he said it. Well, then you've got him in two lies. And then the lies keep compounding. And now it's on the record as being a lie, which means he's violating his oath of office, which means that's another ethics complaint. And that's how you get rid of these people. Again, I have a feeling that Don King bit off a little more than she could chew. However, with that said, the ball's in her court. And now what she has to do is keep it in her court. Because these people are stupid. And they're going to keep being stupid, but she's got to catch them. And now that she's there, she is a catch basin for all things that are corrupt in that school district. You see, the position that she's taken is from a former board member whose role and responsibility on that board was to talk about things like legislative issues. So they would always send Dr. Knight Abowitz to Columbus and to this committee and that committee and listen to these people talk about this and listen to these people talk about that. Listen to these policies that are coming down the chain. If that's really now going to be Don King's responsibility, and she's going to do that traveling and go to those meetings and listen to all that horse shit. If she's really going to do that, the first thing she needs to do in every single meeting is bring up the corruption in the, in the school board among its own members, the superintendent, the treasurer, and then every public concern that anybody in the public has. And she has the right to do that because when it's her time to talk, she can talk for two flipping hours if she wants. No one can interrupt her. And again, if you're a school board member and you don't have a spine, this, you know, you, you, then you're in the right position. You're in the absolute right position because you're going to get pushed around or you're going to be agreeable. And then you're eventually, again, just going to go along with everybody and get so beat down and tired that you're just not even going to fight anymore. But you have to have a, a, a sword with flames on it in order to take the position and then crush these people. And all you have to do is do it with the truth. And if everybody in the town sees a board member who is innocent getting attacked by evil people during these meetings for, again, defending herself and defending the public who is, who is experiencing corruption, then the people are going to show up to those board meetings and rip these board members a new asshole. And that's a good thing. Because we're going to make their lives a living hell, and that's when I'll go back to a school board meeting and do the same thing. But I'm not going to stand up for Dawn King until I see her do the right thing, which is the only thing she needs to do.
And it's everything that I just said. She has to file those complaints against all of those individuals, fill out the paperwork, do the reading, dot your I's, cross your T's, have direct quotes, have testimony from other individuals who have witnessed things, said things, etc., etc. And then you just keep filing complaints against these people. You give the Ethics Commission nowhere to go because then they'll say, oh, wait, we got another ethics violation against this person. Okay. That, you know, we were, we were received one. Now we've got two. Now we've got 12. What the hell's going on down there? And then they'll have no choice but to pull the person aside, interview them. And trust me, if you get Pat Mead in a room by himself, he's a shriveled testicle. The guy looks disgusting. When you, when you, when you get him in a room by himself, he'll shit on himself. He won't have a choice. He'll shit all over himself because he's terrible at lying. Because liars are terrible at lying. And he's a child abuser. Look what he did in the last three years. Look what he engaged in in the last three years. And I'll add this as the cherry on top. He may or may not run for school board again next November. This right here, this singular issue has already crushed his chances if he thought he was going to. He'll be run out of town like you're watching the end of a Western movie. He'll be run out of town like that, and he'll be gone. The people of this town are tired of him, and he's a criminal. And clearly, he's not diverse, equitable, and inclusive, because he's discriminating against a woman. And he's intimidating a woman in the workplace. That's a flipping crime. You can't do that in the state of Ohio. So Dawn needs to get a lawyer now, not the district lawyer. You don't want a school board lawyer. You need your own counsel to go after this guy. And yes, these meetings are going to get fun and interesting. But if Dawn's listening to this, Dawn, you have the upper hand. They just gave it to you for free. Because that's how stupid they are. So follow through with it. Again, I've sent the appropriate information to the appropriate people. It should get to her. She can always reach out to me anytime she wants. I'd be happy to advise her for free on how to crush these people. But ladies and gentlemen, if you have a new school board member who's being harassed, by the superintendent and other board members, and at the very least, the board president. The next move is for the parents to pull their children out of school, to send a message. Now, you should do it anyway, because let's face it, it's a brainwashing camp. But if you still are believing the brainwashing, which clearly many people still are, you pull them out to send a message. You pull them out for weeks on end, because what will then happen is you'll get the attention of the media, Channel 12, so on and so forth. Then you'll get the attention of the state. Then the state will come down and conduct its own investigation, and then they will get rid of them. And they will, because the state isn't having it right now. Their complaints and ethics violations are piling up, and they know that they can just clean house, and doing that is a whole lot quicker. So now you need to squeeze them. And I just described to you exactly how to do it. 
Do you see why I'm going to pat myself on the back here just for a second? Do you see why not just me, I should say, but anybody who's been in the business and experienced what I've experienced and just explained why they don't want us on TV? They don't want people like us on television or even on the radio because they don't want us saying step by step what to do to crush these people. All of the individuals, again, in many cases, the media is responsible too. They're all in it together to protect these individuals. You heard me say that I sent numerous emails, at least two or three, to Channel 12 and Channel 19 in Cincinnati about one of the current board members who solicited money to pay himself back for Super Bowl tickets. That's a massive ethics violation. He still hasn't been prosecuted for that. And that was back in 2021 when I filed that. We're coming up on 2024. He should be gone. He should never be allowed to hold office ever again. Massive ethics violation. Enough to, again, put him, put him in jail. There's a fine associated with it as well. And this is all in the ethics documentation at the state level, which is not a long document. It's rather short. I own it. I've read it. It's a free PDF that anybody can download. But it says, again, that, I mean, one of the major sections of the entire ethics commission has to do with monetary gain and accepting gifts. You can't accept anything. Anything. You can't accept a coffee mug from people. Here's a coffee mug. Thank you so much for serving. You can't do that. You have to look at them and say, I can't accept anything. I'm an elected official. But that's not what these people do. That's not what these board members do. They love the kickbacks. They love the free shit. They love all of it as much as they can get. But you have to file the paperwork against these people in a timely fashion, and you have to be as thorough as humanly possible. You have to be able to write it out in a way that makes the people reading it fully understand what's going on. And then if nothing happens, you file it again with more behaviors that these people have engaged in, which just builds the mountain. And that mountain of evidence will crush them. It always does, and it always will. So that's what has to happen. Again, she's got to follow through with it because now it's her oath. Her oath of office says she has to follow through with it. So there you have it. Okay. Moving on. Did you hear about the fake shooting at UNLV? That apparently happened yesterday, seemed fake, certainly to me, and then they immediately came out later on, well, not immediately, but it was many hours later. They said that it was a former applicant for a teaching position there who's a former professor in other states like North Carolina, made his way out to Vegas, wanted to teach out there, didn't get the job, and then allegedly showed up and shot a couple of faculty members and a couple of staff members. Three dead, one wounded, something like that, and he's dead also. So I don't know if he killed three people or two. I don't even know if it happened. All I know is, is that people said that they heard gunfire and they didn't see anything. So they got a picture of the guy. They got his name. But they immediately came out again and they were like, mass shooting on a university campus. Oh, my God, what's happening? And, you know, everybody speculates and speculates. You've heard me say, start with the fact that it didn't happen. Start there and then start looking for real evidence. Other than a story on paper, I haven't seen any real evidence. I've seen a picture of a guy. I've seen 
an alleged story, an alleged background, and you know, people saying that he liked, uh, you know, one one of the, the the Zodiac Killer, I think it was, from back in the day in California. He was a fan of the Zodiac Killer and, and wrote about him on his own website, something like that. Okay, whatever, whatever. I think just the other day there was some vote about uh, it was in the Senate actually, where a Republican senator from Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken, stopped a Chuck Schumer. Uh, bill that would have banned assault weapons. That also happened yesterday. Coincidence, isn't it? Interesting coincidence. Well, there are no coincidences. Masons all work together to accomplish the same thing. If this is even a real person, this person's probably alive. May, you know, maybe not. It's possible it happened, but it's highly unlikely. That's kind of my whole. That's my whole thing there. So there you go. Okay. Moving on, um, I've got one more education-related thing, and then on to jab stuff. This was out of Michigan. Sandy sent this my way from Newsbreak.com, which, by the way, the uh, the Ethan Crumbly trial. I briefly made mention of it earlier, of course, but uh, the Ethan Crumbly trial regarding the Oxford School District up there in Michigan. The mother apparently attempted to make some kind of a motion having to do with the fact that she was claiming that she, uh, how did it go, didn't want the jury or the judge to hear that she knew about how Ethan was killing birds, something like that, because it makes it look like she knew that he was mentally unstable and, you know, it's, it's ultimately her fault that her son killed people in a school building. Again, very quickly, you've heard me go over the whole thing before. Negligent parents are negligent parents. It it doesn't mean that when they go kill people, when the when their child goes and kills people, that it's the parents' fault. No one arrested Jeffrey Dahmer's parents, did they? Again, he killed people too and, and did other things with them also. But the point is, is that this is about coming after the innocent individuals. This is about making Michigan a police state. And it's about going after everybody and anybody, including law-abiding parents, if their child ends up doing something that is illegal with a weapon. And it could even stretch into, if there's a conviction here, which I, I think would be highly unlikely, unless it's a tainted jury. but that they would do whatever they could to make sure that if the child was not a minor, but in fact of age and an adult, that they would still attempt to come after the parents in a way to say, well, they're your child. Yes, not legally anymore because they're 18 and, and old enough to be a legal adult, but they were once your child. So what does that mean for the larger scope of society? If in fact they they engage in a crime, you know they were under your roof at one point. Is kind of the whole argument. And yes, it's another gun grab, and it's a thousand other things. But there you go. I wanted to bring that to your attention too. Either way, this was from Michigan, and it is titled "Debate Heats Up Around Changing Michigan's Homeschooling Laws." Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel and a Democrat state lawmaker are calling for more state oversight into homeschooling following recent reports of child abuse where officials say homeschool helped conceal mistreatment of caregivers. 
and bang. This is the this is the the fake story and the legal in inroad that they have here is they're going to claim again that government needs to have oversight of homeschooling in cases of child abuse, which as we know brings in more CPS involvement, which brings in more child trafficking and child kidnapping as a result of government, and so on and so on. Bankrupting parents. Oh, you're bankrupt now. Well, too bad. We're trying to get your kid back uh, lawfully because we took them unlawfully. Uh, now you don't have any money and your, your home isn't safe, so now we need to keep your child forever. And we're going to do whatever we can to crush homeschoolers in the process, like, oh, I don't know, have unannounced government visits to homeschoolers' homes to make sure that everybody's following the government rules and doing what they need to do, so saith the man. This is not good. This is another contrived story that they are writing up that will be replicated across the nation. Because if it fails here, someone else will pick up the someone else will pick up the torch and pick up the flag and run with it. And this is one of them. It says Michigan is one of this is a tweet from a representative Matt Colzar. Michigan is one of only eleven states that doesn't count or register homeschooled children. And abusive parents are taking advantage of that to avoid being found out. It's time to support all Michigan students and change that. Michigan cannot allow this loophole to continue. Sure it can. Arrest the parents then. If parents are abusive, having parents register with the government isn't going to make the parents less abusive. It's not even going to mean that government might do anything with them. And since we've mentioned race throughout this entire thing, and race replacement and migration replacement, who's to say they wouldn't take white kids first? Who's to say they wouldn't? Who's to say they wouldn't overly prosecute white parents first and falsely accuse them of something that didn't happen? Remember, these people operate under a cloak of anonymity. CPS gets a random call from a random nobody, or they just make it up out of thin air, and before you know it, your kid's gone. So, yeah, it's a police state. Government-controlled police state. None of this is good. But yes, you should still homeschool your children, because what's the alternative? All right, I tell you what, I want to move now just very quickly to the insurance game, because you, you know that this is something that I've brought up here. With regularity, and uh, my Michigan business friend owner and her insurance friend have been relaying information my way. Uh, I'll start off with this first. I made a post on Great Awakening the other day, and it had to do with insurance. And I was basically sort of summarizing some of the things that have been sent my way regarding increasing insurance for businesses and property insurance and so on and so on. And, uh, and I highlighted a couple of those points and just encourage people over there to think on that chat board to think about the insurance game as being a way to bankrupt Americans and bring down small businesses and property owners and farmers, of course. And then BlackRock swoops in and, and steals the property. There was an individual who reported back and replied back, rather. A bunch of people were like, hey, thanks for the, you know, thanks for the tips. Didn't think about the insurance angle. 
that's an interesting angle, and it's certainly something you know that I'm seeing where I live, and so on and so on. Uh, one person was like, "That's not happening. That's basically not happening. All the beaches are full. All the hotels on the beaches are full, and you know the millionaires can handle the cost and X Y Z. And yes, insurance is going up, but not nearly at the amount that uh, that this person is saying and whatever." And you know, I, I replied back, and I just said, "Look." Not everybody's a millionaire. I hate to break it to you, but not everybody's a millionaire, and most people aren't. The vast majority of America isn't, and that's the point. If you can crush people who are living paycheck to paycheck through their own business, because business is down, because people are dead from the shots, hello, that's the element that controls all of this here is population. And if you don't have people buying your product because they aren't alive anymore, well, that's kind of an issue. So these companies have to make up the difference and they're looking to tax people. And these rates are set by the state. And that, of course, is happening with regularity. And yeah, it's happening in blue states, but it's also happening in the state where I live, which is a red state. But there was this from Yahoo Finance. It's titled Jeff Bezos backed real estate company is launching a new fund to acquire more single-family homes across the U.S. Interesting. So it's BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, and Amazon now. Interesting. It's almost like it's all coordinated. It's almost like it's all being done on purpose. This is not an accident. I replied back again to that person, and I said, you know, they, they replied back to me again, and they were like, apparently you didn't read my post. And I said, look, I, I read it. I live in Ohio. I actually didn't tell him I live in Ohio, but I do. And I said, there are 88 counties in Ohio. 44 of them, as of January, are going to have their property taxes increased. 44 counties are going to have all of their property. Taxes go up by at least 37%. And again, this has to do with farmland. There's copious acres of farmland all around where I live. And much of it is for sale. Not all of it, but lots of it. And it's never been for sale. These farmers know what's going on. They want to try to get out from underneath this any way they can. They want to retire. And they don't want to pay these taxes and go bankrupt. I fully get it. But again, for that person to comment initially and they're like, whatever, it doesn't have anything to do with farmland, that's not happening. You have to have your head in your ass to not see what's going on right now. This is happening all over the place. And yeah, people are making comments saying things like, hey, look, you know, my homeowner's insurance is increasing dramatically. It's hundreds and hundreds of more dollars a year. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's not just car insurance. Even for individuals that have never made a claim like myself, I mean, I had to change car insurance companies because it had doubled by the time that I first got it, which was a few years back. So it doubled in just a matter of a few years, and I've, you know, I've never made a claim. I have a perfect driving record, and I don't drive long distances hardly ever. So again, this is the, this is the kind of thing that's happening, and to just blow that off as not being a big deal, well, it's a very big deal. Okay, jab stuff. Here we go. This was sent to me by a listener of the show. They were commenting to me about Chris Sky, who I'm a fan of. I like Chris. 
Canadian activist. He was running for mayor of Toronto, if memory serves. I could have that wrong. Uh, I think it was Toronto. Either way, um, he was he was running for an elected position. I don't know how that's worked out or if it has even come around yet. But either way, he was on his Telegram channel and he was challenging people to a debate about he, how he believes that viruses are real. And I'm not sure why he would do this, but it's a bit strange. It's a bit out of character for a guy who openly, again, talks about corruption and knows that politicians are lying. And he highlighted the whole COVID lie, but he somehow thinks that viruses are real. At least I think I'm interpreting what he said as being correct. So I bounced over to his his uh, his Telegram page, and I told him I accepted his challenge, that I would accept his challenge. And he said, too late, you know, uh, the n- nobody wanted to accept it, and I was the last person to comment. And I said, I'll accept it. I'll accept your challenge. I said, listen to the episode of the Dangerous Info podcast where Kate Daly was on as a guest. I want to say it's episode 54, but I could have that wrong. Either way, get on the Dangerous Info podcast and scroll down and listen to that episode. Kate Daly goes through the history perfectly of how virology is a lie. I also sent him the title of the book, uh, The Truth About Contagion. He should read that. His justification for his position was a rather foolish one, again, if I'm interpreting what he said as being correct. But he claimed that viruses not existing is a psychological operation. And he claims that a psychological operation, including viruses not being real, quote-unquote, that if enough people talk about it and enough people say it, that that should prove by default that it's a psychological operation. That's not what a psychological operation is. A psychological operation has to do with the point of impact on a line graph when one of the lines of truth intersects with a complete lie and then the only line that exists for the rest of that line graph is that lie. That point of impact where those, where those two things intersect, that's the psychological operation because the thing that continues is the psychological operation. That's the lie that they want people to believe. That point of impact of viruses not being real to all of the sudden them being real and then the, build, the building of the pharmaceutical industry, all of that happened in the mid-1800s to late-1800s to early-1900s. It was a 50-plus year thing that occurred where instantly this was the case. Now, people would argue it was even sooner than that, and I completely agree with that. You could go back as far as the very first inoculation that was ever given ever. Well, we're giving this to you because it will prevent future illness because there are quote-unquote germs all over the place, and we could get sick, and we want to be able to prevent that. Again, becoming ill and getting rid of toxic cells, which creates a feeling of disease or illness, is a natural human process, and it's not just a human one. It occurs with every living thing on Earth. That's not an accident either. Grass grows dormant. Leaves fall from trees. 
this is the way that it goes. Cells in the human body that lose oxygen are eliminated from the body, assuming that the body is still in normal functioning patterns. And the DNA isn't ruined to the point where it can't get rid of them. But I don't know why he would pick a fight with that. That, that, That's not a psychological operation. It's well-documented fact. And again, he could read my last substack and dive into it even more and think about it even more. The, the, The people who throw the term psychological operation as only being a negative thing and throw that around with regularity, those are the individuals that are using it as a scapegoat to not talk about a particular issue for which they don't know something about. It becomes just a dismissive tactic by going, whatever, it's a psyop. Now, where have we heard that before? We've heard it most prominently with the Q posts. Whatever, Q was a psyop. Whatever, I don't want to think about it because it was a psyop and a lie and you know it, it didn't mean anything and it was all fake. That's not true either. It was very real. The education it provided was very real. The information that was there was very real. And then there was a discourse mixed in with the Socratic method to where it was its own battlefield where even the bad guys were paying attention to the Q drops, which means certain things had to be said sometimes certain ways. And there's way more coded stuff in those Q drops than anybody could possibly imagine. So there are good psychological operations. There are bad psychological operations like the moon landing didn't happen. And then there are multidimensional psychological operations, which are designed to deprogram people, educate people, but also ask questions, maybe create slight confusion from time to time, but also with a level of unknowing and and understanding that you're not going to know everything. And that's okay too. But again, Picking a fight with people and looking to divide people over whether or not viruses are real or not is not, is not a good that's not a good that's not a good plan of attack. Again, you heard me say certainly in the last Substack that the word virus is ubiquitous on purpose. Of you know, a video has gone viral. There's a virus on your computer. People are sick with the viruses. My dog must have a virus. These things are all over the place, and they, in, in, you know, they infect everything and impact everything. That, that's on purpose. The term virus is a psychological operation because it's used to be ubiquitous across multiple platforms in endless contexts in order to make it part of just our vernacular and nomenclature so that once, when someone hears the term virus, they quiver. And they coil up and they go, oh, no, not that. There's no such thing. There's only poison. So this will kind of prove it, I think, too. This leads me into the next story. The Illinois General Assembly has the status of a bill that is, uh, is new and has been introduced. It is HB 4243 in the 103rd General Assembly. And here's the synopsis. It says, quote, Amends the Illinois Clinical Laboratory and Blood Blood Bank Act. It requires a blood bank to test or have tested donated blood 
for evidence of any COVID-19 vaccine and any other messenger ribonucleic acid, or mRNA, vaccine components and requires a blood donor to disclose during each blood donor screening process whether the blood donor has received a COVID-19 vaccine or any other mRNA vaccine during the donor's lifetime. Requires blood or blood components to include on their labels a designation that the blood or blood components tested positive for evidence of a COVID-19 vaccine or any other mRNA vaccine component, or was drawn from a blood donor who disclosed the donor had received a COVID-19 vaccine or any other mRNA vaccine during the donor's lifetime, provides that the Department of Public Health must adopt rules to implement the changes made by the amendatory act, unquote. And it was filed on the 29th of this year, I'm sorry, November 29th of this year, filed by the clerk representative, Jed Davis. Do you understand the weight of that? That's very good news. And out of Illinois, no less. Now, why would that be happening? Because they know, someone there knows, and certainly the activists or anybody else, the doctors, you know, knowledgeable people who know what's going on with the contaminated blood, know that COVID jab blood is now contaminated. It's always been. I've said it publicly a long time ago. Lots of people have said it now. It's still one of those issues that isn't getting a lot of play. And we're not hearing a lot about it, how people need to stop donating if you've been jabbed. And if you haven't been jabbed, that is, then don't accept donated blood. We've heard some of these stories, in particular when it comes to babies. There was that story out of New Zealand, if memory serves, or Australia, one of those countries, where uh, there was, you know, there was a baby over there that was allegedly going to receive jabbed blood, and the parents were like, "No, we don't want that to be the case. We're not jabbed, and they can have our blood, but the hospital wouldn't let them." And then eventually something happened, and then the story went away. Again, I don't know what, what ended up occurring with that in its conclusion, but the point is, is that now people know this, and politicians know this, and this is an actual House bill that's been reintroduced to, again, add a revision to an already existing bill or law. And that's a good thing, for whatever it's worth. Regardless of the state, that's a good thing. Okay couple more things here, and then I'm going to wrap it up. This has been a long one. My apologies, but yeah, just a long one. Uh, this is from The Defender. Again, childrenshealthdefense.org. 49-year-old develops heart, severe heart problems after new 5G antenna installed. God, I'll tell you what. This being ahead of the curve thing is really exhausting. Because... Uh, As you know, I emailed my city council about this when their finance director died after being jabbed and uh, sitting on a park bench next to a 5G tower, and yeah, he's dead. And here you go, right from the health defender. It says, quote, immediately after a 5G tower was erected across the street from his apartment building, a previously healthy uh, 49-year-old Swedish man developed uh, concerning, rather, cardiac symptoms 
and other issues that dissipated when he took refuge in an apartment without 5G, according to a new case study published in the Journal of Community Medicine and Public Health. I put this story on my Gab page. It's there if you want to read it in its entirety. It's undeniable. It's absolutely undeniable. And it doesn't matter the country. Again, it could be a Swedish man in Sweden. It could be an American in America. In the town where I live, the dummies were just like, well, it's an unfortunate heart attack, and you never know when somebody's just going to pass away. So hold your family close and hug them when you can and blah, blah, blah. That's what the mayor said, the same mayor that forced the jabs on countless people, including all city employees, unless they filled out an exemption. Yeah. Just incredible. There was also this research study that was published in a German outlet, and it is titled Unexpected Cell Processes After the COVID Vaccination. Are they unexpected? Not to us. It says the technology of mRNA vaccines is still quite new. Researchers have now observed unexpected molecular processes inside the cells of people after vaccination. Hmm. It's almost like we were telling people this in 2020, before the shots even came out, and long before that. That synthesized DNA being injected into your body messes with your DNA and changes you. It says, quote, just very quickly, it says, there was some big concern during the pandemic. What if the mRNA vaccines not only introduce genetic information into the cells that are used to activate the immune system, but also change the genetic material of the cells themselves? What if molecular processes were initiated that were not expected? Some people preferred not to be immunized. Uh huh. Again, lots of people spoke about this publicly. I certainly did. And there you go. It changes you. It changes your RNA and your DNA. Because that's what all poison does. That's the whole point. It's exhausting. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, yeah. Let me keep going on the jab train here. I do want to end with a story that AJ sent me. Had to do with child trafficking in Ukraine. I'll bring that up at the end. Bear with me here, though. I know I'm pushing two hours. Okay, there was this post on Great Awakening. Again, I like these observation stories. They said the following, quote, My wife and I went to dinner tonight. The number of sick people in the restaurant was appalling. Makes me wonder what the traditional flu season will be like with all of the immunocompromised people. Further details and thoughts. They said first, if immunocompromised, quote-unquote, is a word, well, you know what I mean. They said second, I'm not worried about being around sick people because my immune system is intact, and getting sick and getting over being sick is part of life. Anyway, there were 16 tables. All were occupied. I counted at least 11 tables where someone was coughing and or sneezing. Yes, they should be at home, but there they were. Well, coughing and sneezing doesn't mean you're sick, and coughing and sneezing doesn't, you're not passing anything to anybody, but whatever. They said, is anyone else noticing a lot of sickness more than usual? The flu typically kills a lot of Americans and people in under, other countries every year, uh, except when there is a pandemic. 
I'm partially holding my breath and partially watching with curiosity to see if the flu will wreak, e- will wreak extra havoc rather this year and from now on due to the effect that the jab has had on people and their immune systems. Also, I wonder if the cabal will try to spin flu deaths as COVID variants. Yes, they will. They already have. And with actual deaths occurring, and they've done that too, including, I might add, uh, reworking their obituaries and falsifying their obituaries to make sure that there is no indication that they were jabbed and even lying about the causes of death in their obituaries. Instead of saying that they had a factual heart attack, they'll say, well, you know, it was an accident of some kind. It's beyond ridiculous, but people are actually doing that. They know that they've been jabbed and they don't want people to know after they've passed, so they falsify their own obituaries. So that's been happening. Um, Let's see. And then they said, or if that might, uh, or might that result in more people turning back into sheep, of course, with all the constant lying and everything. It's possible. They said, just some thoughts, stay healthy, vitamin A, C, and D3, Q-certin, NAC, and zinc, and eat healthy and exercise and be joyful and pray, basically live life in a good way, unquote. Yeah, no doubt about it. But that's a, you know, a decent observation, a little inaccurate, perhaps, but uh, you, know, you can basically tell with the mask wearing. We can always still tell with the mask wearing. If people are wearing masks, they're believing the lie. And if they're coughing through the masks, well, they're jabbed and, uh, and they're suffocating themselves. So there is that. Okay. I'll mention this. This is the story that AJ sent me. This had to do with a woman that he had an interaction with out in California. And uh, she ended up getting rather upset, apparently, about him asking her a few questions about donating money to Ukraine. And where that money was going and what was going on. And then she apparently walked away from him. And I think it's just fantastic. So here's the email he sent me. He said, my daughter forwarded an article, see the link below, to me about her friend's mom, Jeanette Kissling, if I'm saying that right, who runs an organization providing help to Ukrainian children. I got into an argument with this German woman before the summer about Hitler. The fake Holocaust, the origins of World War II. Her father served in World War II on the right side of the war, the German side. (laughs) There you go. Very good. Anyway, I just found out about her role in assisting, quote-unquote, Ukrainian children in the article and thought this woman is actually someone I would trust with the best of intentions. I was wondering if the organization could be involved in child trafficking and maybe my local friend is naive and doesn't know what's going on. By the way, she had, and might still have, a flag of Ukraine in front of her house since 2022. And here's the article. It's called, let's see, it's titled Bridging Borders Supporting the People of Ukraine from December 1st. And again, it talks about Jeanette Kissling here has devoted time and effort to aiding the people in Ukraine. When Russia invaded Ukraine in early 2022, she had to increase her efforts. This helped her launch the Neighbors Abroad Ukrainian Emergency Children's Relief Fund. She later received the Sister Cities International 2023 Volunteer of the Year Award in July 
for her leadership and efforts in the program. Uh, it goes on and on. It's, it's rather suspicious to say the least. I'm going to summarize it briefly by kind of reiterating what I've said in the past. They got a picture over here, the whole thing. This is, com this is from uh, VerdeMagazine.com, a Palo Alto High School's news and features publication. Well, of course, it would find its way into a school. It's propaganda. Uh, anytime anybody's giving money to a foreign country during war, you should count on that money never going to the people that they say it's going to. It's also common knowledge that Ukraine is a child trafficking, women trafficking hub of the world. And it has been for a very, very long time. That hasn't changed. Still the case. Endless footage of Russian soldiers liberating children who have been locked in cages and uh, locked in bunkers and underground tunnels. This footage exists. It is out there. It is everywhere. But unfortunately, these people, whether they be naive or directly involved or indirectly involved, they're still involved. They're still a part of funding something for which they know nothing about what they're funding. They're not putting a book in a child's hand who just had their library exploded by bombs, by Russian missiles. They're not putting a sandwich or an apple in a child's hand who doesn't have anything to eat. Somewhere along the line, an intermediary is picking up this cash, and they're keeping it. And they're using it to move people around or pay people off. Almost certain. I've always thought that the charitable organization in our country and around the world is beyond dirty. It's always felt dirty to me. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, there's the old, the old saying and the old fact that you walk into a grocery store filled with poison and GMOs and then they ask you for a dollar or more donation to a cancer organization when you check out because you just got done buying nothing but carcinogens, by and large. I mean, the irony is palpable, but the irony with this is disgusting also because the people involved and the people who donate and the people who run these organizations might know what they're doing, and they might be directly involved, or they might just be really stupid and have no idea what they're doing. It's one or the other, but that is a very real thing, and it's still ongoing. Imagine what it is now regarding the children of Israel and all of that stuff. Would you like to give money to Israel for the, for the kids who have been raped? Uh, prove it. <laughs> just prove it. You can't. They just can't. And like AJ said, you, you start questioning these individuals and, and they don't know where to go. They don't know what to do because they've been caught or they've been caught not thinking. They're both bad. Being caught in your own criminality or being caught not thinking. I mean, both of that is a bit of an indictment, certainly on a personal level, but it goes on all the time and it's happening a lot. I'll tell you what, I'm going to end with this post. This is from one of the chat boards that I frequent, and, uh, and it's a nice reminder about how things aren't going to change unless they really change. So I'll end with this, and then I wish everybody a great weekend, and I will catch you on Monday. It says the following, everything is an illusion because they've started a war, and they intend to finish it. It says, quote, I don't trust anything said on social media. 
with CTIL and other social media giants giving full backdoor access to the regime, it's trivial for them to fabricate an entire account's worth of comments. For example, if they wanted to frame someone, let's say you, as a domestic terrorist, they could 100% access your Facebook account, doesn't matter if you have one or not, they'll create one if you don't. Spam the shit out spam the shitload rather out of AI generated comments alluding to bombs, shootings, etc. Backdate all the posts for good measure, and then they could carry out a real attack using a patsy, or even a false attack using a, a crisis agency. I think they did that with the Virginia explosion in that house earlier this earlier this week. Remember that? And then they claimed that it was an Asian guy who had terroristic threats on his page and whatever else. And this house just blew up based on a search warrant. The footage is rather incredible, but it seemed completely fake. It says the media won't know the difference and neither would most other people. If I didn't say that already. It continues, it said you'd be, you'd be disappeared into a hole somewhere, probably a gulag in D.C. And the lawyer afforded to you, if you were afforded one at all, would be in on it or wouldn't believe you anyway. We live in a dictatorship with 10,000 corrupt as F nameless bureaucrats as dictators, all of whom are fully capable and willing to do everything I just wrote and more. And with information siloing, they don't all need to be in on it. They just need to know enough about their part and bend the rules just enough for the broader process of, a, of totalitarianism to play out in lockstep coordination without any directing orders besides their immediate job, case in point, the defense lawyers of the J6ers. We are in a war. They started it, and the government that is responsible for it is not going to reform. They are trying to destroy America, to destroy us, to destroy freedom of religion, to destroy freedom of property ownership, and the right to own firearms, and the right to have a family. They are outright trying to destroy these things, and they are intent on using force, censorship, rigged courts, stolen elections, unlimited immigration to destroy us without hesitation or peaceful recourse for us. They intend to use immigration gangs, weaponized tax collectors, domestic police agencies, the FBI, DOJ, DHS, etc., turned into full-on standing armies, militarized intelligence agencies, full-on political breakdown operations of peaceful political organizations, outright suppression of political dissidents, Orwellian distortion of the news, monitoring control terror, and open street violence funded by proxies of the political parties and NGOs. The GOP isn't going to stop this either. They're merely an extension of the DNC, and anything you see coming out of them now is mere temporary backpedaling, cooling the mark on the road to the U.S. and West's annihilation under a dictatorship. The regime started a war, and they intend to finish it. And every man who is fully aware of the crimes of this government is fully intent, soul-focused, on making sure everyone who has done these things absolutely gets their day in court 
and their day with the grave, unquote. Couldn't agree more. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.